Joel, the big picture. Earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, natural catastrophes of various kinds have a way of making us feel helpless. We can do nothing to stop them. We can only do our best to avoid them and then pick up the pieces after they have passed. The first part of Joel's prophecy is concerned with natural disasters that would lead to great suffering for God's people. A drought of major proportions and a plague of locusts. God uses these natural events to warn his people of even worse suffering in the future, should they refuse to recognize their need for him. <clears throat> disasters can also come as a result of our own behavior. Joel realized that the natural disasters suffered by the people of Judah were God's way of getting their attention. <clears throat> Centuries earlier, Moses had warned that disobedience to God's plan would lead to such catastrophes. Deuteronomy 28:38-39. God, God sought to restore his people to himself through these natural disasters. God broke through their illusions of security and self-sufficiency showing them how important their relationship with him was. <clears throat> Some of us have suffered from locust plagues in our own lives through actions of our own. We have suffered painful consequences and have found ourselves unable to combat the powerful, the powers that assail us <clears throat> through actions of our own. We have suffered painful consequences and have found ourselves unable to combat the powers that assail us. As we recognize our own limitation, accept responsibility for our sins, we should realize that this is not the end of our lives. It is a wonderful opportunity for a new start. Recognizing our need for God's power in our lives leads us to seek God afresh and once again surrender to Him. When this is happening, we are continuing in the ongoing process of spiritual renewal. Spiritual Renewal Themes The Power of Confrontation God's people had lost sight of their need for God and had become complacent about following the plan of God had laid out for them. So to break through their spiritual blindness, God allowed them to suffer a series of disasters. Through their sufferings and the words of the prophet Joel, God let his people know that they were headed for disaster and needed to make some changes in their lives. God often intervenes in our own lives in similar ways. He allows us to suffer the consequences of our behavior to awaken us from our spiritual blindness and complacency. He controls us with painful reality of our choices and actions. But we should find comfort in this because he confronts us not to destroy us, but to initiate the process of our restoration. The importance of forgiveness. <clears throat> the book of Joel states that the day of the Lord was coming, but with his message of warning and judgment, he also gave his listeners the grounds for hope through repentance, confessing their sins, accepting the responsibilities of, for their wrong, and seeking to re redirect their course. Repentance will allow God's people to experience the healing available through God's forgiveness. Like the nation of Judah, each of us would love to change some of our past actions and choices. Rather than change the past, God provides a means of resolving our past failures through forgiveness. <clears throat> our spiritual renewal is built on the foundations of both receiving and granting forgiveness. 
the limitlessness of God's power. <clears throat> we can easily be overwhelmed by the power of nature when it unleashes its fury in an earthquake, volcano, hurricane, virus. When we look at the coastline and see how the ocean has carved out cliffs and caves, we marvel at the power of the ocean. But none of these powers, act of nature, can compare to the overwhelming power of God. When we feel powerless, God invites us to come to Him for help. In Him, we have all the power we need to overcome our weaknesses. God's power within us. Joel predicted a time when the limitless power of God will be poured out upon us through His Holy Spirit. This promise implied that God would be directly available to his people and it was fulfilled when God's spirit was poured out after Jesus the Messiah ascended to heaven this truth is of most importance to us in the process of spiritual renewal God is with us and his power is available to us as we persevere in our struggle to grow here we go <clears throat> chapter 1 of Joel the Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Petul. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Everyone listen. In all of your history, has anything like this ever happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come. Pass the awful story down from generation to generation. After the cutting locusts came eating the crops, the swarming, the swarming locusts took what was left. After them came the hopping locusts and then the stripping locusts too. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. All the grapes are ruined, and all your new wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land. It is a terrible army, too numerous to count. Its teeth are as sharp of the teeth of lions. They have destroyed my grapevines and fig trees, stripping them, their bark and leaving the branches white and bare. Weep with sorrow as a virgin weeps when her finances had died. There is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. The priests are mourning because there are no offerings. Listen to the weeping of these ministers of the Lord. The fields are ruined and empty crops, the grain, the wine, and the olive are gone. Despair, are you farmers? Wail, are you vine growers? Weep, because the wheat and barley, yes, all the field crops are ruined. The grapevines and the fig tree have all withered. The pomegranate trees, palm trees, and apple trees, yes, all the fruit trees have dried up. All joy has dried up. Yes, all the fruit trees have dried up. All joy has dried up with them. Dress yourself in sackcloth, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. There is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him. The day of the Lord is on the way. The day when... Destruction comes from Almighty, how terrible that day will be. We watch as our food disappear before our very eyes. There are no joyful celebrations in the house of our God. The seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. 
though barns and granaries stand empty and abandoned, how the animals moan with hunger, the cattle wander about confused because there's no pasture for them. The sheep bleat in misery. Lord, help us. The fire has consumed the pastures and burned up all the trees. Even the wild animals cry out to you because they have no water to drink. The streams have dried up and fire has consumed the pastures. Okay, that was chapter one, and this is this is the solution here. This little footnote it says the people needed to admit their helplessness before God could intervene on their behalf. Joel led them to do this in three areas. First, their physical resources were depleted by the locust plague and drought. Second, they were spiritually destitute and could not find God through the standard method of presenting sacrifices. Third, they could not rely on courage and self-defense because the locusts were too great a foe to overcome. Once we admit we cannot do anything to save ourselves, then we can turn to God and ask Him to mercifully rescue us from our pain. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, let's go ahead and read chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, let everyone tremble and fear, because the day of the Lord is upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like a dawn spreading across the mountains, a mighty army appears. How great and powerful they are! The likes of them have not been seen before and never will be seen again. Fire burns in front of them and follows them in every direction. Ahead of them, the land lies as fair as the Garden of Eden in all its beauty. Behind him is nothing but desolation. Not one thing escapes. They look like tiny horses and they run as fast. Look at them as they leap along the mountain tops. Listen to the noise they make, like the rumbling of chariots, like the roar of fire sweeping across a field, or like a mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with fright. The attackers march like warriors and scale city walls like trained soldiers. Straightforward, they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right place. They lunge through the gaps and no weapon can stop them. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing their thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can endure it? That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. 
who knows, perhaps even yet, he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting, bring everyone, the elders, the children, even the babies, call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. The priests who minister in the Lord's presence will stand between the people and the altar, weeping. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. They belong to you, so don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their names become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, Where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. The Lord's Promises of Restoration When the Lord will pity His people and begin and, and be indignant for the honor of His land, He will reply, Look, I am sending you grain and wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs, you will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. This is the Lord's promise of restoration. Again, then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of his land. He will reply, Look, I'm sending you grain and wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will remove these armies from the north and send them far away. I will drive them back into the parched wastelands where they will die. Those in the rear will go into the Dead Sea. Those at the front will go into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice because the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field. The pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with luscious fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will flourish once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rains he sends are an expression of his grace. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with wine and olive oil. Yes, olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the stripping locusts, the cutting locusts, the swarming locusts, yep, and the hopping locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced like this. Then you will know that I am here among my people of Israel, and that I alone am the Lord your God. My people will never again be disgraced like this. The Lord promises of his spirit. Then after I have poured out my rains again, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. 
I will cause wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be people on Mount Zion in Jerusalem who escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. And on chapter 2, the footnote says, Instead of responding to God's judgment with the prescribed ritual, tearing garments, God wanted the people of Judah to come to him with broken hearts, admitting their guilt and helplessness. The people needed to commit themselves to God, examine themselves, and ask God to change them. Since God is known for his graciousness and mercy, it makes sense to surrender our lives to him. He can change our pain into joy. When the people of Judah admitted their sins, God would take away their disgrace and replace it with his blessing. Likewise, when we accept reality, admit our sins, accept responsibilities for our lives, and surrender our lives to God, He will free us from the bondage of sin and grant us mercy. The parched, barren areas of our lives will flourish, bringing glory to God. Since this prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost, see Acts 2, we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been changing sinful and troubled lives since He was poured out. Peter and the Apostles, Act 2, Paul, Acts 9, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a prison guard, Acts 16, and others, the Spirit whom Joel prophesied about and who changed their century lives, first century lives, is available to change our lives too. We can trust the God of the Old and New Testaments to heal our broken lives and bring about our complete redemption. When we call on the name of the Lord, when we call on the name of the Lord, we will find deliverance. No failure in our past is too great to prevent this. No disadvantage of any kind can keep us from God's grace. When God comes to judge the world, his grace is able to keep us from all harm. Yeah, all harm. Judgment against enemy nations. Chapter 3. At that time, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, says the Lord, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, for scattering my inheritance among the nations, and for dividing up my land. They cast lots to decide which of my people would be their slaves. They traded young boys for prostitutes and little girls for enough wine to get drunk. What do you have against me, Tyre and Sidon, and you, you, cities of Philistia? Are you trying to take revenge on me? If you are, then watch out. I will strike swiftly and pay you back for everything you have done. You have taken my silver and gold and all my precious treasures, and you have carried them off to your pagan temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, who took them far from their homeland. But I will bring them back again from all of these places to which you sold them. And I will pay back you, I will pay you back for all you have done. 
I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the people of Arabia, a nation far away. I, the Lord, have spoken. Say to the nations far and wide, Get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere. Gather together in the valley. And now, O Lord, call out your warriors. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Now let the sickle do its work, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the winepress, because it's full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. It is there that the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will no longer shine. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. And the earth and heaven will begin to shake, but to his people of Israel, the Lord will be a welcoming refuge and a strong fortress. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, live in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever, and foreign armies will never conquer her again. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the dry stream beds of Judah, and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple watering the arid valleys of Acacia. Egypt will become a wasteland and Edom a wilderness because they attack Judah and kill her innocent people. But Judah will remain forever and Jerusalem will endure through all future generations. I will pardon my people's crime, which I have not yet pardoned, and I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. All right. The notes, it says, untimely God has a good future plan. Ultimately, God has a good future plan for all who trust in him. Restoration will be complete. Salvation will be forever. With this hope for the future, we can find the courage we need to persevere through our problems today. Romans 8, 18 and 21. Since our financial dis final destination is assured and God promises to stay with us, Throughout life, we need not fear the path we must walk, even if winds through uncertain territory. We need not fear the path we must walk, even if it winds through uncertain territory. The word of the Lord. I was reading from the New Living Translation, Spiritual Renewal Bible. Tyndale. Thank you so much. God bless you. Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. But in the very first temptation, Satan says, Look, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been out here fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know that you have the power to turn those stones into bread and to sate your hunger. And Jesus responds to Satan by quoting Moses from Deuteronomy. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word 
that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I think that when Paul says, all scripture, God breathed, just listen to that. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think Paul has Jesus and Moses in his mind when he says that. So there you see Moses' view of biblical authority, Jesus' view of biblical authority, Paul's view of biblical authority in three Greek words. If the Bible is reliable, the questions of the canon answered, the means of inspiration understood, how do we interpret it? Are there true interpretations or is there just a sea of opinions? Is the Bible a book locked in mystery only open to the religious elite? Or can an ordinary person sit down and know what the living God has to say to them? Before the Reformation came, a church service would have been very pedantic, it would have been ritualistic, and unfortunately, often not understood. You must understand that in Catholic theology, the idea is that the ritual itself, the Mass itself, has validity. And therefore, people don't even have to understand what is going on. That's why the Mass was done in Latin. It didn't matter if you understood it. As long as you were there, as long as you were participating, as long as somehow you were spiritually connected, you did not need to know what the words were that were being spoken. The Catholic Church's attitude to the scriptures in the run-up to the 16th century and during the 16th century is quite intriguing. Certainly the intellectual hierarchy of the church regarded the scriptures as important. One of the reasons they weren't keen on lay people reading the scriptures was they regarded them as important and had a concern that the scriptures would be abused if they fell into the hands of, of lay people. On the other hand, however, the, the Catholic Church, I think, at a, a demotic level, at a grassroots level, uh, did not have a high view of the scriptures. The scriptures did not feature highly in the piety of your typical parish priest, didn't feature highly in the liturgical practices of the church. There were, of course, very low literacy rates in Europe at that time, so no book uh, functioned particularly significantly in the life of ordinary people. One of the chief things the reformers wanted to recover about the Bible was the sense of its clarity, its perspicuity. There really wasn't a debate that the Bible was authoritative. Everyone in Christendom understood that. It was inspired and, and it was infallible. Or they would have used some, some terms similar to that. There was often the clarity. Do we have to rely on priests, uh, on a magisterium, on church tradition? No, we don't, we don't throw out those things. We don't come to the scripture by ourselves. We, we do want to stand on the shoulders of giants to understand it. But of course, God wouldn't be God and he wouldn't be good if he didn't communicate with us in a way that we could understand.